Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So our title for tonight is Jonah Part 2, My Distress and God's Grace. And if you weren't here last week, then that will teach you. You must come to church, otherwise you don't know. And I'm just making a joke. To quickly recap for those of you who weren't here last week, we had Jonah chapter 1 that we were going through, Arise and Go. This whole theme about God coming to Jonah and telling him, Go to Nineveh, this wicked city. The evil has arisen before me. You must go and preach to them about the evil that has arisen before God. And just on that note, very important for us to know that as we will be focusing specifically on the grace of God tonight and about how that is revealed to us, it's very important in light of the book of Jonah. You know, many times we go through the book of Jonah, we see what is busy happening, and it's God extending grace to a amount of different people. The sailors on the boat, to Jonah himself, to the city of Nineveh, and we many times forget how the book starts. It's God being provoked because the evil has arisen before him. And we many times forget that, yes, there is grace when we repent, but if we don't, there is a holy, righteous God that demands justice. And there will be judgment if we do not turn. And it's very important for us to keep those things in balance. And in light of God's holiness, in light of God's judgment, it makes the grace of God all the more sweeter. Amen? Otherwise, we kind of dumb it down as we've done in our Western culture. This God of love that just never gets angry, never gets provoked about anything. But that is what starts the book in the first place. The evil has arisen before me. There will be judgment. This is a holy God that is busy speaking. And like we said in that first chapter, we see this contrast about Jonah being a call to arise and go. And this word arise repeating six times throughout the book about God calling Jonah to arise. But then we see instead of Jonah arising and doing what God has called him to do in his disobedience, he continues to go down. Down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the bottom side of the boat, down into the sea, and down into the fish. And what we saw that our disobedience will lead to death. Just because we're saved, just because we're part of the people of God as Jonah was, doesn't mean that we can simply continue in disobedience. Our disobedience will lead to death. And we will go farther and farther away from God, down and down in disobedience. And we also saw that our disobedience will cause unnecessary storms in our lives. I mean, following God already brings storms, already brings persecution. This is not the prosperity gospel saying that if you follow God, everything will just be nice and fine and well in life. There'll already be persecution, already be trials, already be tribulation. But now this is self-inflicted trials and tribulations when we continue to be disobedient to God. And I think there we said, if all of us reflect back in our lives, we can at least think of a couple of circumstances where that might have been the case. My own disobedience, my own bad judgment, my own decisions that led to a certain result that wasn't very nice, if we can put it like that. But our disobedience will cost us something. And the second thing that we saw is that unfortunately the disobedience of those around us will also affect us. And our disobedience will affect those around us as well. The sailors on the ship, they were affected by Jonah's disobedience. They were in the storm because of him. And they lost the things that they depended upon, their livelihood. The cargo of the ship, 
the things that they sold and took here and took there, they threw that in the sea. They lost that. Our disobedience affecting those around us and the disobedience of those around us affecting us. And we see that, you know, specifically living in the country that we're living in. Sometimes more directly, sometimes less directly, but the sins of those around us affect us. They play a role. And like we also said before, we get suspect about those around us, but it is a good time to evaluate who you have around you. The friends and the people that you spend time with. Their disobedience will cost you something. It's a good thing to consider. But before we get too suspect about the people that are around us, the one thing that also stands out throughout the book of Jonah is the sovereignty of God. The fact that he steps in whenever he wants to do whatever he wants to accomplish his will. That is God. And while the sailors lost the cargo, they, they lost something temporal, they gained something eternal, they worshipped the God of the Bible. Yahweh, the covenant name of God. They had a revelation about who this God is that created the heavens and the earth. The Almighty One. And that again then was a good thing. But then we paused with this question that we needed to answer for ourselves. Like we said, the book of Jonah has a lot of questions that isn't answered. The reason for that is we're supposed to reflect on that and answer it for ourselves. And the question in verse 6 of chapter 1, the world rebuking the church, a heathen sailor coming to Jonah and says, what is with you that you are sleeping? What do you mean you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps your God will care whether we perish or not. And like we saw the unfortunate state of Israel at the time, but also Israel in general, and unfortunately also the church in general, that we are passive when it comes to the calling that God has called us to be light to the world and salt to the world. That we are called to spread the gospel to the nations. Like Jonah, and unfortunately many times the case is that we are asleep. We are not doing what God has called us to do. And the sad thing is that the world acts more morally than we do sometimes. The sailors tried to save Jonah's life when they figured out that the storm was because of him. And they had to cast Jonah into the sea. And not cast him into the sea. They rode hard to get back to shore trying to save Jonah's life. Well, he just doesn't care. The world acting more morally than the church. And this question being asked by the people that don't know God. Maybe this God will care if we perish. Same in chapter 3 verse 9, the king of Nineveh is saying, who knows, maybe this God will relent if we repent. And who knows? The church knows. We know. We know there's a God that cares. We know there's a God that will relent when people repent. We know that because we've experienced that. And we are called to share it with the world around us. And like we said, the reason why we are asleep is because we are not arising and praying to our God. In two senses, many times we don't know the God that we are supposed to share with the world. We know of this God. We have sat in church and traditionally we've heard a lot of stuff about Jesus, but there's no experience about who this God is. We've never encountered him on our own. When people mention the presence of God, it's just an idea to us. It's not a reality. And it's difficult to speak about someone that you don't know. Because we are not intimate with our God in prayer, we struggle to share him with the world around us. And also because we don't pray so that God might send us to the world around us, we never have a heart and a conviction. And so beautifully with the youth, people intentionally taking time, not just jumping into it, but praying. And allowing God to come and give conviction so that what we do can actually be sustainable. You see in Matthew 9 when it speaks about Jesus speaking about the harvest being plentiful, the laborers being few. 
doesn't say, so go. He says, so pray. So pray. Why? Because when God sends, when God births conviction, then that's sustainable. To be sent by God. But then we see Jonah just simply doesn't do that. He just continues in disobedience. Even after the sailors come to him, even after they cast lots, Jonah told him it's his fault, but he still didn't pray. He still didn't call out to his God. And now the question that we need to ask ourselves tonight is, what should a holy God do with such a man? Now think about this for a moment. Throughout the book of Jonah, the sovereignty of God on display, literally everything in creation obeys immediately at God's command. Jesus in the Gospels, the people even say, who is this that even the unclean spirits obey him? But there's one part of creation that doesn't seem to obey when God calls, and that is us, humans, mankind. All of creation, the wind, the sea, the waves, the animals, even the unclean spirits, they obey, but only us. And when the command of God comes, we want to reason. We want to debate with God. We are slow to obey. Imagine that. And now the question is, a holy, righteous, almighty God that created everything, what is he to do with us? What is he to do with Jonah? What would you have done if you were in God's position? Almighty, omnipotent, you can do whatever you want. Holy, righteous, and here, this human being defies you. Instead of doing what you called him to do, he runs in the opposite direction. What would you have done? And we know at least as the first chapter ends that God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. And that's where we pick up the story here in chapter 2. Let's read and see what we can learn from this. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 to 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard, you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the, their hope of steadfast love, or forsake the one who shows them steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Interesting piece of scripture. And many times we just quickly read over the passage of scripture and we don't see the deeper meaning of it. And I think we do that for two reasons. You know, firstly, like I said in the beginning, we are just too busy all of the time. We don't take the time to sit still to contemplate certain things, ask the right questions about the text and pray to God so that he reveals what he wants to reveal to that. I mean, there you sitting this morning, quickly answer this question. When last did you sit with a passage of scripture, whether it was difficult to understand or not, but just a passage of scripture and you sat there 
and you read it again and again and again. Same passage. You just read it again and again and again. Asked questions again, again and again. Prayed about it again, again and again. And just sat and meditated and waited upon God to reveal to you what it actually means. When last have you done that? Have you ever done that? The sound that you're about to hear, how often do you hear it? This one. Nothing. How often do you hear that? How often do you take time just to sit still and know that he is God? Like like Cornelius Baker said, you know, in the Western world, we're the only people that hear that verse. Be still and know that I'm God and then we sing it. That's what we do. But being still, we're not going to do. We'd rather sing, be still. But actually, going sitting and being still, difficult. But how often do you do that? Now, and secondly, it's difficult because the genre changes. It goes from narrative to poetry. So we have our story, listening brains on, and then all of a sudden, there's the psalm in the middle of the narrative. Now it's difficult because we have to listen a little bit different or focus a little bit different. Although it's very much symbolic to what actually happened. And because we do that and we just read past it quick, kind of the message that we get out of Jonah chapter 2 is, if you are in trouble, pray. And because it's shut down and a lot of people is tired, if that's the only thing you take away tonight, then that's also good. If you are in trouble, Pray. But just also realize in the case of Jonah that because of your lack of prayer, we many times end up in trouble. Just take that then as well. A lack of prayer, a lack of arising and praying to our God, that gets us into trouble. Many times not physically speaking, but spiritually definitely. Spiritually where Jonah was. A lack of prayer gets us into trouble, but if you are in trouble, pray. If that's the only thing you take away, then that's good and that will be really helpful. I can promise you that. But now to get to a little bit of the deeper meaning about what God is showing to us. And there's a couple of things, obviously, pointing to Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. As Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish and then got spat out. So death couldn't hold Jesus. And that's why he can redeem our lives from the pit, from Sheol, from the belly of the fish. But we're going to focus a little bit more on the grace of God tonight. That is one of the things obviously it points to, but when it comes to the grace of God, there's two things that we need to see in this passage of scripture. The first one, the grace of God doesn't look like we think it looks always. The grace of God doesn't always look the way we think it's going to look. When the grace of God manifests in our lives, when God is being gracious towards us, when God is showing love towards us, it doesn't always look the way we think it's going to look. And secondly, God also challenges us to who we think he will extend his grace towards and also when he will extend his grace towards us. So let's look at that first one, the grace of God, not always looking how we we think it looks. So if you go to someone and you just read to them verse three, five, and six, and you give them no context, and you say, listen here, this is someone and God is doing this to them. What do you think is busy happening? And you read the following to them. For you, this is God, casts me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
You go read that to someone and you say, listen, yeah, this is what God is doing. And by the way, this is not symbolic. This literally happens. God is busy drowning someone. Now in face value. What's going on here? What do you make of that? And so beautifully, you know, like Jonah also explains, we know that the sailors cast Jonah into the sea, but he says God did that. God is the one that cast me. And then Jonah is acknowledging that there's a sovereign God busy at work behind the scenes. God is busy doing everything. And maybe also one of the best books to just define this relationship between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. See this right throughout the book. You know, theologians debate about this again and again. But so clearly seen and so beautifully shown. The fact that we are responsible for the choices that we make and that we will be held accountable, but God is still sovereign. And he still accomplishes his purpose overall. But it doesn't look like grace, you know, if, if we remove it from its context. It looks a little bit harsh. And many times we forget we Jonah. We forget that we are also many times in this place and that we are slow to obey and we don't always do what God has called us to do and stuff happens in our lives and we're like, what is going on? And by the way, I'm not saying that every single storm or thing that we go through is our own sin that causes that. Like we said, it's also the sins of those around us. We can at least say that sin in general is the cause of all the troubles that we have in this life. Not always our immediate sin. But even if we are affected by someone else's sin, even then God out of grace comes and reveals something about himself to us. Like in the case of Lorenzo, you know, he was here in the morning service. But he was driving, he was obeying the rules we think. We don't know, but he says so. He's a trustworthy guy. And someone else skipped the red robot. Someone else didn't do what they were supposed to do. Someone else was not following the rules. And according to the doctors, Lorenzo is supposed to be dead. It's not supposed to be here. Quite a dramatic experience. And if you can speak to him and his wife and say, hey, what, what happened through all of this and where are you now? They will testify to the grace of God and how God has revealed certain things to, about himself to them that they would not have known. They've grown and they are close to God like they would not have been if that didn't happen. And many times it doesn't make sense to us, but the grace of God is at work here. And many times we fail to see that in our own lives. Now, but this specific instance is because of Jonah's own sin. But like I say, many times God comes and he does certain things just to shake us from our passivity and just to come and teach us certain things about him that otherwise we would not have known. But God busy doing some work here. You see, because the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is the best thing that God can do for Jonah? What is the best thing that God can do for Jonah at this certain point in time? The best thing that God can do for Jonah is to put Jonah in a situation where he calls out upon God and draws near to God again. And the result of what busy happening is exactly that. See, look at what Jonah says in verse 1, 2, and 7. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. The whole chapter 1, when it's other people's lives that are in danger, when the sailors are about to die, when the Ninevites are about to be overthrown, then he just sleeps. He doesn't care. He doesn't call out to God. There's nothing happening in Jonah's heart. But all of a sudden, when Jonah's life is in danger, now he prays. Does that sound familiar? Does it ring a bell? I've heard people say stuff like that. I don't know myself, but I've heard people say. But it sounds familiar. 
Verse 2, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Again, does that sound familiar? When we look at our own prayer lives, the things that we sometimes do when it peaks and when it falls again, does this sound familiar? And many times certain things happen in our lives and we call out to God to come and show us grace, not knowing that God is busy extending grace so that he can save us from something else altogether. God busy working. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Again, sounds familiar. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You see, David Brown says that affliction, trials and tribulation opens up the mine of scripture only seen before on the surface. Trials, tribulation, difficult things that we go through, it opens up the mine of scripture that we only saw before on the surface. We read it, but we didn't understand it. We needed revelation, experience about this good God saving our lives, redeeming us, having grace, extending grace again and again and again, leading us again and again and again. A holy, gracious God busy doing a good thing for us. And we ask, how can God allow this to happen? But God is busy out of grace, drawing us near to himself. This is the most loving thing that God can do. Like I said a couple of times, you know, how gracious and how loving when God comes and shakes the things that are temporal so that we can shift to the things that are eternal. How gracious and how loving when God come and remove all the things that we have so that we can see what we have in Christ alone. How gracious and how loving. There's nothing more loving than God can do. And sometimes because we are so focused on our earthly kingdom and on temporal things, we actually think that God would be more loving if he left us spiritually passive, comfortable with earthly things. And when judgment day comes, we find out that there's a different reality holding store altogether. That is not love. That is not grace. And I pray for myself and maybe you can pray that for yourself. I would encourage you to do that. But to say, Lord, that if I'm focusing on temporal things, rather come shake them now. Lord, if my life is not built upon Christ, if I'm spiritually passive, if I'm not living out the things that you've called me to do, shake me now. Allow me to be cast into the storm now. Why? Because there's a final storm that each and every one will face and that is the judgment of our holy God. And on that day, we cannot cry out anymore. Grace has passed and judgment has arrived. Then it's too late. Very important to remember out of the story of Jonah. That is what caused the story to begin in the first place. The evil has arisen before me. There is a holy, righteous God that demands justice. And if we don't repent, judgment will take place. That is certain. Now, like we said, you know, one of the things that is so beautiful about Jesus' resurrection that's also pointed out in the story of Jonah 2, foreshadowed, is that for us who believe that through the resurrection of Christ, he secured our justification. But as Paul says in Acts 17, verse 32, that it also assures judgment. Because Paul says the time of ignorance God overlooked but now he demands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge this world in righteousness and of that is given assurance by a man by raising him from the dead. That's Jesus. 
So while it secures the believer's justification, it also secures judgment for those who don't repent. The resurrection of Christ. But it is the best thing that God can do for us. Send the storm now, Lord. Come and shake now, Lord. Come and awake us now, Lord. Otherwise, one day we'll stand before God and we will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many great things? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness, why? Because you didn't do what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. And we say, Lord, if we're not busy doing what you've called us to do, if we are lazy and passive like Jonah, either running in the different direction or sitting passively and just sitting and looking, waiting what will happen to the city that he has called us to reach. Come shake us now, Lord. Come wake us up now, Lord. So that is the first thing to see, that the grace of God and the love of God doesn't always look the way we think it looks. And again, easy to say, difficult to experience. But that's the truth nonetheless. And it should give us great hope. Why? Because in the broken world that we live in, we can know that there is no pain without purpose. There's no misery without meaning. A holy, righteous God is busy doing something good. Amen? So it doesn't always look the way we think it's going to look, but it always not extended to those we think God is going to extend it. And also not when God will extend it. We read here in chapter 2, verse 2 and 6. Jonah saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shul I cried, and you heard my voice. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Let us quickly just sink in tonight. It doesn't matter how long you've been disobedient, how far you've run away. And how deep down you've gone in your disobedience, the moment you call out to God, he'll listen. Just allow that to sink in. Like Stefan said so beautifully, many times we think, no, no, surely not again. I've been disobedient, I've run away. I feel so far from God because of my continual disobedience, surely he won't listen. Scripture says he will. He heard my voice. He answered my prayer. He brought up my life from the pit. Just allow that to quickly sink in tonight. Doesn't matter the amount of disobedience. Doesn't matter how far down you've gone. The moment you cry out, God will listen. You see, many times as the church, we forget that we also need grace. And we think to ourselves, I understand that God forgive, forgiven the sailors because they didn't know any better. They didn't know any better. I understand that God relented of the disaster in Nineveh because they didn't know any better. It says they couldn't tell their right hand from their left. They were spiritually blind. They didn't know any better. But as the church, I was supposed to know better. I've seen his salvation. I've seen his grace extended to me again and again. How, if he, how he's healed me and led me. I was supposed to know better. I understand that God will forgive them, but I don't know if he'll have grace for me. You see another question being answered by the story of Jonah. As the sailors wondered, is there a God that cares? As the king of Nineveh asked, will God relent? Who knows? And sometimes the church also asks the question, but will God forgive again? Will God extend grace again? And many times we ask ourselves the question, man, if I struggle with the same sin again and again and again, and if I'm again at that place where I told God last time, Lord, if you, if you rescue me again, I won't be again. And here I am again. 
did my repentance even count? Because it doesn't look like it was a perfect repentance or a pure repentance. And the answer is yes, God will forgive. Why? Because we are not forgiven because of the purity of our repentance, but the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. That's why we are forgiven. God didn't say, hey, I sent my son to die for you. And now if you repent perfectly or holy or just, then I will forgive you. No. It's about the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. We will in our lives never have a perfect repentance. We will in our lives never have pure repentance. There will be inevitably some kind of selfishness that kicks it off because we see that we are in a mess that we don't want to be in. And something in us will not want to give over continuously and something in us will still yearn for that sin that we commit again and again. And yet God will forgive because Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient. That doesn't mean that we use grace as a cover up for sin. Like Paul says in Romans 6, will we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Not to cover our grace. In fact, that should lead us to turn more to God more regularly amen and let this sink in as well tonight for us as church to know that the grace of God we need it every day and we'll need it often but God provided salvation before Jonah cried out God sent the fish before Jonah cried out let that sink in tonight this isn't a petition to be saved, this is a thanksgiving psalm because God already saved. That is Jonah chapter two. Not Lord, please come and save and I won't mess up again, but God appointed the fish before Jonah cried out. And God also saying, you don't have to get yourself out of the mess you got yourself into. Many times we feel that way. Surely now I first have to swim to shore, then go do what God has called me to do, and then afterwards maybe God will consider extending grace again. No. He appointed salvation before you cried out. God extended grace before you cried out. God is the first one to move. And in the same way that God sent the fish before Jonah cried out, in the same way God sent Jesus before we cried out. And we read in Romans 5 verse 8, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, and for some of us sitting here tonight, you might identify with the sailors. You've never really known God. Maybe traditionally grew up as a Christian, but you never encountered God. You never have encountered His grace. When someone speaks about the presence of God, it's a foreign concept. You understand the theory, but not practically what that means. Maybe you identify with Nineveh. You need to repent. You've never actually turned to God. And maybe tonight you feel like Jonah. You've run away, you've disobeyed, you've grown spiritually passive. No matter where you are, the grace of God is sufficient. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And the beautiful passage in Matthew 18 verse 12, about the parable of the lost sheep. What do you think? Can a question, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of that one that went astray? For those of you who don't know how the story continues, the answer is yes. Yes, he leaves the 99 and he goes and fetches the one. 
And again, the, the picture isn't displayed as the good shepherd Jesus going fetching the sheep, putting it on his shoulders, coming back to the herd, throwing him with the rest of the sheep, giving him a couple of, a couple of shots and said, make sure that it doesn't happen again. That's not how the story plays off. It's the good shepherd going fetching the sheep on his shoulders, bringing him back, calling his friends and saying, rejoice with me for the one that is lost is found. That's the response. Late in the same chapter, leading up to the prodigal sons that ran away, the youngest one, coming back in verse 20. And even before again, before he repented, he decided to repent, but before he repented, the father ran to him, embraced him, hugged him. So you are welcome, my son. We saw him a long way off. He had compassion and he embraced him. You see, there's a certain person in the New Testament that kind of reminds me a lot of Jonah. Again, this depiction of the church and Israel and God's individual people that he calls again and again failing to do what God is calling them to do and running away, but God's still extending grace. It gets continued again and again through scripture and unfortunately again and again in church history and unfortunately again and again in our lives. Yet God still extends grace. But the guy that reminds me about Jonah is Peter, the apostle Peter. In many ways, and again, just the unity of scripture is just so beautiful for me. Obviously everything pointing to Christ. But the similarities in the Testaments as well. You see, Jonah was sent to a heathen nation, a Gentile nation that didn't know God. And he set sail from somewhere, obviously to run in the different direction from Joppa. But there was also someone in the New Testament called to go to the Gentiles. Who was that? Peter. Guess where Peter was praying on a roof when the word of God came to him. He was in Joppa. Same place that Jonah fled from. Same place. And he also had to learn that God extends grace to all people of every nation who fears him. But as Jonah ran away, Peter also ran away. We read in Luke 22, Jesus saying to Peter that Satan has demanded to have you, but I've prayed for you that when you return, you might strengthen your brothers. In other words, you are gonna run away. You are gonna abandon me. You are gonna run away, but I've prayed for you that when you return, you might strengthen your brothers. And what does Peter say? No, Lord, I'm ready for prison and even death. The rest might, but I won't. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In other words, you won't even make it through the night. And the same is true for us. If we think in our own strength and in our self-righteousness, we are going to follow God. God is saying the same thing to us. We won't make it through the night. Without the grace of God, we won't make it through the night. And you see, they leave from there to go and pray in the garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John. And three times Jesus rebukes them and what does he tell them? The same thing that the captain of the ship told Jonah. He finds them asleep. Why are you sleeping? Arise and pray. Three times. And three times they fail to do that. Less temptation overtaken. Because they fail to do that, when temptation comes, they run away. When persecution comes, they flee. But we read in Mark 17 that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and his angels spoke to the ladies, what did the angels say? Go call his disciples and Peter. Go call his disciples and Peter. 
call Peter back. And tonight God is calling the Jonas and the Peters back. And for some of us, like I said, we might identify more with the sailors, some more with Jonah. But the truth is that the grace of God is sufficient for all of us, poured out for all of us. Christ died for all of us. And we're going to use communion now and distribute the elements of communion. And I want to give us some time to reflect there where you sit, to be still, to ask the question. And if you see that there's an area in your life where you're spiritually passive or where you are going down in disobedience, turn to God now. Before the storm comes. But if it's difficult and if you're uncertain, because many times we fail to see who we are. We fail to see that. Loving God coming, disciplining us by our own sin. You know, like David, when Nathan the prophet went to David, telling him about this made-up story about the guy that did a certain thing and asking David, what's your judgment? David said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan says, you are that man. And many times we need a different picture where we are removed from the picture to see where our hearts are actually at, to see where our spiritual lives are actually at. But take some time, reflect and be quiet before God and ask him, Lord, what are the things that I need to turn to, turn from? Where am I disobedient? Where am I not following as I should? And as we use communion, just know that the grace of God is sufficient. And when you call out, God will listen. God will hear because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Whether it's initially turning to Christ or turning to Christ again, the grace of God is sufficient. And if you are sitting here tonight and saying, well, none of those are applicable to me, I'm actually obeying God at the moment, I'm not that in need of his grace, then I can assure you that you very soon will be. Because that is pride speaking. And pride comes before the fall. Like the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, he, I worked harder than all of the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God towards me. So in whatever situation you find yourself in, thank God for his grace. Repent of the things that you need to repent of and turn to God where you need to turn to God and obey where you need to obey. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to give us a moment. They're just there where you sit. I'm not going to pray for us again when you're done with communion. You're welcome to come and pray with some of us standing here at the front. You can grab a coffee at the back and enjoying a time of fellowship with us. But don't rush past this moment. The grace of God is sufficient. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father. As we reflect, Lord, in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, knowing, Lord, that we are not forgiven because we always obey. We are not forgiven because we are righteous, Lord. We are not forgiven even, we are not even forgiven because we repent as we should. We are forgiven because of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. The lamb that was slain, Lord. The one that threw himself into the storm, the judgment of God, so that it can pass over us, Lord. And we have faith in you. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us where our hearts are at, Lord. Come and search our hearts. Test us, Lord. And lead us in the way of everlasting life. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name.